Oh, I better not sit down yet. Well, good morning. My name is Doug Freeman. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of sharing with you guys this morning and kicking off um, a new series. And there's, this is going to be a four-part series, and it, um, it's a takeoff from uh, the what would Jesus do question that was made famous by Pastor Charles Sheldon. In 1896, he wrote a book called In His Steps. And in that book, it was, it was the setting was a, a small town Kansas preacher challenged his congregation to ask that question, ask what would Jesus do before every decision they made. He challenged them for a year to do that, and the book follows the, the dramatic changes that took place in that town because of that decision. So we've changed it around a little bit, and this series is called What Would Jesus Undo? And this first sermon is What Would Jesus Undo? Indifference. Spiritual indifference. And I want to start with a with a story and a question maybe first. Uh, don't raise your hands, but have you ever broken anyone's heart because of your indifference? Have you ever broken anyone's heart because of your indifference? My dad um, would have been 91 this year, I believe. He passed away a year and a half ago or so. And uh, he grew up in Kansas and lived a life much like a lot during that time, but he had a, he had a dream as a, young, as a very young man, as a teen, early teenager, 12, 13 years old, he wanted to play baseball. It's really what he wanted to do. He didn't know that he would ever make professional, but he wanted to play baseball. That dream was disrupted at the age of 13 when his father basically sold him off to another farmer to pay a debt back. So he had to not only quit school, but he could not pursue that dream of, of, um, of playing baseball. He didn't even get to finish school. Actually, he did. He graduated from high school, and he was 83 years old um, that in the little town of Tonganoxie, Kansas, where he grew up. So, so um, that's kind of my, my father's childhood. Now, when my dad um, raised us, he did everything he could to make sure his children had everything that they needed and not everything that we wanted, but everything that we needed. He was a, a great provider. He even chose a career that would keep him from home a lot, but he would make good money. He was an over-the-road truck driver. He made good money, and he was able to provide for his family. And, and, and he always encouraged us towards pursuing the things that, that, that he never had. And so um, that's the kind of guy he was. So um, fast forward. I'm 17 years old. I'm a senior in high school. And I had received uh, a handful of full-ride college scholarships to play football. That would have made me the first ever person in our family, as far as I can go out from our family, that had ever even considered going to college. And I had some scholarship offers to, to play football. Now, um, I was 17. I was stupid. I was all those things that a lot of times... 17-year-olds think about. So I made a decision in my infinite wisdom that I wasn't going to play football. I wasn't going to go to college. I thought I was in love, and I wanted to get a job, and I just wanted to work. I didn't want to go to college. So I'll never forget the day that I broke the news to my dad. I had never, I'd only seen my father cry one time, and that was at his father's, my grandfather's funeral. And I think those tears were probably 
over a relationship that never existed with his own father. But that day, I, like I say, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I waited until he was out the front door and at his truck, 1974, three-quarter ton pickup with a camper on it, blue. I remember it. I, I do. I, mean, I have the picture in my head. He was getting ready to get in his truck, and I, I came out the front door, and I met him at the street, and I looked him in the eye, and I, I, I got to tell you, I really respected my dad and what a, what a wonderful father he was, but I looked him in the eye, and I said, Dad, I'm not going to take any of those college scholarships. I'm not going to go to college. And for the second time in his life, I saw him cry, and it was as if I had kicked him in the gut. I even remember him bent over on the hood of the truck, weeping. And I broke his heart. He wasn't mad at me, but I had, I had been indifferent to the gift that he had provided in, in providing for us as a family, and certainly the gift of a full-ride scholarship, and he understood that, and, and it broke his heart. And so... Um, not proud of that moment. It was, it was a, a moment that, that we, of course, we, I did decide to go to college later, but I had to pay for it because I passed up the scholarships. But anyway, it was just a moment that, 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 that sticks in my mind of, of relational indifference and taking a gift, taking a gift for granted like that, that somebody had worked so hard to try to provide for me. And so this morning, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 3 where we see a glimpse of Jesus' response to spiritual indifference for the gift that he's given us. And if we think about the gift, if we think about the fact that he laid down his life so that we could have forgiveness and we could have eternal life, that we could be restored to our created purpose of relationship with him, He's giving us his living word. We have his word, uh, uh, and we have access to our Heavenly Father through prayer, and, and he's given us his Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us. What a gift. And yet, and yet, we can go days and days and days without even acknowledging that he's there. Spiritual indifference. And self-sufficiency, Distractions of this world can bring that spiritual indifference in our lives. We can fail to acknowledge his gifts to us, and this breaks his heart. And as we'll see in this scripture, it makes him sick to his stomach. Again, he's not mad at us, but he understands the gift that we've chosen to be indifferent about. So to set up this Revelation chapter 3, I'm not going to go into it super, super, super deep, but uh, in Revelation chapter 3 is, is one of the letters to the, the, the seven churches in the book of Revelation are, were actual churches at the time that Jesus is speaking into them about things that were happening in, in, for them and for corrections that need to be made. And in uh, chapter 3, we're going to read about the church in Laodicea. And Laodicea was a wealthy city uh, it had a lot of, it had all the stuff in the world that the world would have to offer, you know, uh, stadiums and theaters and lavish public baths and shopping centers, much like a, much like a Vegas or a Dubai uh, of today. However, they had a serious problem um, in Laodicea is that they, they had a water shortage, much like Vegas uh, in uh, Dubai. And so what they, what they did is they built aqueducts. If both directions, they, uh, and they were bringing in cool, refreshing water from Colossae, from one side, 
And on the other side, they were bringing in hot mineral water from Heropolis. And unfortunately, when the cool water and the, the, the hot medicinal water got there, it had passed through open aqueducts for a long way. So by the time that it got there, it became lukewarm, it became dirty, and it became nauseating to the taste. Some say it had sulfur, a sulfur taste to it because of the, the mineral spring. So, so that's the setup for the reason Jesus addresses specifically this church, because these people could relate to what he was saying. So let's bring up Revelation uh, chapter 3, verses 15 to 16. This is a very strong indictment. I know all things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you were like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Wow. That's pretty significant. What he is saying there is that you are spiritually stale. You're spiritually stagnant. You're indifferent to all that I've done for you. And not only does this break my heart, but it turns my stomach. I want to spit you out of my mouth. And that word spit, some of your translations say different things. Some say vomit. Uh, uh, spit's a little easier to, you know, well, I don't know if it's any, any better or not. Because in, in Greek, the word is a meo, which means to throw up or to, re, to uh, reject with extreme disgust. Okay, again, not mad, not angry, but brokenhearted and nauseating. And so a, a, a serious indictment here. A quote by a guy named William Osler says this, by far the most dangerous foe we have to fight is apathy, indifference from whatever cause, not from a lack of knowledge, but from carelessness, from absorption in other pursuits, from a contempt bred of self-satisfaction. It's a dangerous foe, spiritual indifference. And I think there's, there's many, many, many reasons that we can slide towards spiritual indifference. But I think if we're honest, I think if we're honest that, that there's two specific areas that almost all of us struggle with to some degree or the other. So let's look at the first one of those. If you're taking notes, the first point on your outline is self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. And continuing in Revelation, in Revelation uh, 3, verse 17, he says, you say... I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, we might not say this out loud, but, but sometimes we demonstrate with our lives and our words and our actions that, that we're self-sufficient. You know, I'm good. Hey, I'm good. I got my I got my iPhone 10 in my pocket, and, and I, I'm, I'm hooked up on Hulu, and, and I've got my Amazon Prime going, and I have some income, and, and my life is full. You know, I'm really chill. I mean, things are happening. I'm, I'm, I'm good here. But what Jesus says is, no, you're deceived. You are deceived. And, you know, you might have worldly wealth, but you're spiritually bankrupt. You might think your life is full, but it's devoid of meaning and eternal significance. You've become spiritually indifferent. Your self-sufficiency has blinded you to the truth. Your self-sufficiency has blinded you to the truth. The truth that it's only by Jesus' strength and power and through dependence on Him that we can have the abundant life that He created us for. That's the only way that we can have the abundant life is sufficiency in Him. There's another quote 
that we don't have on the screen that I'll just read. It says, God is not looking for gifted people or people who are self-sufficient. He's looking for inadequate people who will give their weaknesses to him and open themselves to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the transforming grace of the new covenant as it is ministered by Christ Jesus himself. So self-sufficiency. You could be really, really, really different than I am, but I deal with self-sufficiency every day. When I slip into that mindset, I forget that it's only by God's power and I'm operating on my, because after all, he's given me these gifts. He's given me this skill set. He's given me these abilities. He's given you those things not to forget about him, but to depend on him, to not be self-sufficient. The second reason that we want to look at of cause for spiritual indifference is distractions of this world. It's hard to live in this world and not be distracted by the world. In Mark 4, 19, this is, the, this is the scripture that comes from the parable of the soils. It says, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. Again, uh, we're not going to be quick to admit it, but I think if we're honest, we know that we're easily distracted by things of the world. We all have things, whether it's bills to pay or kids to take to sports practice or the job, or maybe it's the cause that you've taken up that's distracting you. Maybe it's pleasing others. Maybe you like to please others more than you like to please God. But the thing is, our culture, our society today, continually pulls us towards that broad path. We're inundated in our, in, our, in our culture today with the broad path, the things that, uh, of the world that entice us and, and would pull us away and, and you know, make us become obsessed with things of the world, those temporal concerns and, and those activities that knock out the desire for anything with eternal significance. The world is trying to pull us away. And when it's successful to do that, we become spiritually stale. We become stagnant. We become lukewarm. And we become unuseful for kingdom purposes. We become unuseful when we're in that state. And what Jesus is saying is this makes him sick to his stomach. He's heartbroken over the choices that we make to be indifferent towards the gift that he has provided for us. And you know, no one, no one is immune from spiritual indifference. You can think of the most, the most spiritual person you know, whoever that might be, the most spiritual person you know, down to the, the, the person that's never even made a decision to Christ. Nobody's immune from this. And sometimes we, I'll say me, sometimes I like to make an excuse for my spiritual indifference. And I'll be totally honest with you. Um, I think I'm out this side of this now, but I, I've, I've been through a, a period, and I don't know why, but I've been through a, a, a period uh, that lasted for a couple months of what I called, I'm just going through a dry period. I'm just spiritually dry. Well, you know what? I just was spiritually indifferent. I wasn't considering the things that I needed to consider. I wasn't thankful for the things that I should be thankful for. I was distracted by the things in the world. I was walking in self-sufficiency. Yeah, it was a spiritual dryness, but it was also a spiritual indifference. 
So nobody is immune from that. It can affect us all. And so the good news, here's the good news in all of this, is that God loves us. And God's desire to have that intimate relationship with us is far stronger than we could ever have a desire for. His desire is big and he pursues us. He paid the price so that we could have that relationship with us. And he will continue to pursue us to that end so that we will not be spiritually indifferent. And he's clearly laid out in his word. He's clearly laid out to us all what we can do to to keep away from spiritual indifference, to have the kind of relationship that he desires for us to have with him. It's very clear, okay, in his word. And so let's look at, I've just listed six steps here. We'll look at them one at a time. And and these aren't certainly all all inclusive, but uh, steps, things we can do to avoid spiritual indifference, things that we can do to avoid spiritual indifference. And I would probably say, I guarantee you 100%, if, you're, if you do these things, you will move away from spiritual indifference and you will move closer to where God wants you to be. The first one is to live for God, not to please men. And Luke 6.26 says, what sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds, for their ancestors also praised false prophets. So the question, are we more concerned in pleasing man than we are in pleasing God. Is that a bigger concern for you? Pleasing the people around you or pleasing God? Do we yearn for the praise of others, wanting to hear the praise of others more than we do having the joy that comes from pleasing God and living a life that's committed to Him? Let's be honest. Do we do that? Do we desire to hear those good things from men and aren't really concerned with what God has to say about the way we're going? Jesus said, woe to you who live to please men. Woe to you. Because that path leads to spiritual indifference. The second reason is we need to be obsessed with eternity. To be obsessed with eternity. And Mark 8, 36 says this. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul. So again, the question, do we love the world and the things of the world more than we love the things of God? Things with eternal significance. First John says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. I love First John because that's very straight. He says, you can't have them both. If you love the world, you can't love God. You have to, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to handle the things of the world as good stewards but we're not to be in the world and immersed in the world's ways. We're to be separate from the world. We're to be different and and be obsessed with eternity, to have that eternal mindset. We still have to function in this world, but we have to have the eternal mind that Christ wants us to have. The next one is uh, fear God and live a life of obedience. John 14, 15. I love this scripture because it, it lays it out all on the line. If you love me, obey my commandments. He, Jesus is defining love. If you love me, do what I tell you to do. If you love me, obey my word. If you love me, walk in my will. And uh, I, again, I know I do, and I don't want to say that you're all like me, but I know that I do. I have a tendency to rationalize sin. And, and we can all slip into that, thinking things like, well, I'm not as bad as as this guy over here, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm up here and he's down here, so I'm not as bad as he is, and, and I'm really not hurting anyone with this 
with this sin, and you know everybody's doing it. Look, just look around. Who's who's not doing that? And and uh, you know I'm only looking at porn. I'm not having an affair, at least. You know, uh, uh, it's a big company. I'm sure they won't miss this little piece of property that belongs to them if I take it home. That's a big company. They can absorb that. Who's who's gonna you know who's gonna know? And and yet Jesus says that love for Him is demonstrated by obedience to His word. It's demonstrated by honoring him by being continually awestruck with his goodness and his faithfulness to keep us in his love and to give us everything we need. He's given us all things that pertain to life and goodness, to walk with him. So we should, and this is when I first heard a statement similar to this, it kind of took me back, but it's true. We should love the things that God loves and we should hate the things that God hates. A lot of people think, well, hate shouldn't be a word in the Christian vocabulary, but we should hate the things that God hates, okay? Because that's who he is, and, and, and he doesn't hate them. When we think of hate, we think of the emotions that come with it and all that. Well, that's not how God thinks. He's not like that, but it, it's black or white. It's light or dark, so we should love the things God loves and hate the things that God hates. We need to see sin as God sees sin. And how does he see sin? It cost him his son. It cost him the most valuable thing that we could ever imagine, the gift of his son. That's what sin cost him. And we need to be able to, to hold to that and remember that when we're talking about sin. We can't rationalize our sin. The next thing we need to share our faith. Um, in Luke 12, 8, says, I tell you the truth, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. So we say we love him. We say we're in relationship with him. We say we're committed to him. But do we live lives that deny him by our words and our actions? Does our profession match our practice? Do we just say the words or do we live the words? And um, you know, I don't believe that all of us have a calling on our life to stand up here in the corner and on a box and proclaim the gospel. I don't believe everybody has that call. I know that I don't. That's not my gifting. But if you're his child, if you've made that decision for Christ, then you should act like you're one of his children. The behaviors in your life, the things that you choose to do should be a witness that you belong to him. We shouldn't even have to, in fact, I get in trouble sometimes, we shouldn't even have to open our mouths. Our lives should demonstrate who we belong to. Our lives should demonstrate that. And that is sharing of your faith. It's not just necessarily, again, standing up here or standing on a platform somewhere and, and proclaiming the good news. It's living your life in such a way that you demonstrate that you belong to him, that people can see that in your life. Um, uh, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Our life should be a witness of who we belong to. The next thing we want to move to is seek him daily. Seek him daily. And Luke 9.23 says this. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. You could put, you must turn from your spiritual indifference and follow me daily. Now, Again, some questions that I think that, that we need to ask ourselves. Do we only turn to him when things get tough? Is that the only time we turn to him is when things get tough? Uh, do we only seek him when it benefits us? Or uh, is he just a crutch 
When you're desperate, is, you know, when, when things are out of control, is he just a crutch that you turn to? Uh, do you only give him your time once a month when you come to church? Is that the only time you ever give him any of your time? He desires a relationship, not a visit. He desires a relationship, not an occasional visit. And he died to make that possible. That's why he went to the cross, to make that possible, that we could have a relationship with him. A marital relationship would not be much of anything um, if it was just an occasional visit. I, no, I'm not, well, I'm going to go here. I, 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 I looked up, I looked up conjugal visits, and you probably, if you're old enough to know what that is, that's people that are in prison that they allow, and I won't go any further than saying, uh, occasionally in some states they allow wife or family to come and visit, okay? But... That would be a difficult relationship if somebody was, was only, you only got to see that person once every three or four months. And so uh, we're called to daily seek him, to, to, to reach out to him daily. And again, he died so that that would be possible for us. So we do need to seek him daily. The next thing we want to look at is to be different, to be different than the world. And the scripture with that, Matthew 5.14 you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. So again, some questions that we need to ask ourselves. Are we secret believers? Is there any such thing as a secret believer? Can you be a secret uh, believer? Uh, and, and questions like, do, do we, if we're professing Christ as our Lord and Savior, do we have the same moral standards as the world? Do we choose the same entertainment as the world? Do we invest our time, talent, and treasures the same as the world? Do we raise our kids the same as the world? Do we conduct our relationships the same as the world? Do we honor marriage the same or not honor marriage the same as the world? Uh, uh, are we the same or are we, are we different? You know, and, and uh, I read in a book years ago, I don't know who the author was, but it, it was an interesting concept. He said, if you were arrested for being a believer, if they came and arrested you today and put you in jail for being a believer, would there be enough evidence in a court of law to convict you? That's a, that's a pretty significant question. Is your life demonstrating that? Could, could, you know, would the prosecuting attorney have a good case? It's like there's nothing evident in this person's life that they're a believer. So we need to be different than the world. There's no such thing, I believe, as a secret believer. And in this world, this world is filled with darkness. You know, Scripture talks over and over about the difference between light and dark, good and evil, okay? There's two kingdoms. We're in one or the other. And this world is full of darkness. And we're called to be light. We're called to be salt. We're called to be a demonstration of God's child, to represent Christ, to be an ambassador for Christ. So we should be different than the world. I want to move on to wrap up this portion in Revelation. This is where Jesus finishes up this statement. And, and this should be encouraging. I mean, this is a heavy subject, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to lay tons of, of conviction on you, and yet I got tons of conviction on me just preparing this, so I'd just love to share it with you all. So... So this, this, is, this, is a, this is serious stuff, but, but this kind of brings it all, all to point here. In Revelation 3, 19 and 20, he says, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. That word turn means repent. 
Turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. He's pursuing you and me. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to have an intimate relationship with you. I'm here. I'm pursuing you. Won't you turn? Won't you repent of the things that are distracting you? Won't you stop the self-sufficiency? Won't you divest of the things of the world and turn to me and have a relationship with me? And so that, that's God's heart towards us. Even when we slip into spiritual indifferences, he loves us. And I don't believe he'll allow, if you're his child, I don't believe he'll allow you to continue in that state. He's going to bring correction into your life. He wants you to pay attention. He wants you to turn from your indifference to repent because he's standing at the door knocking. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And then don't bring that next slide up yet, but I, I had prepared this study, and this was basically the end, but, but God kept bringing this scripture to mind. And uh, so we're going to end with this scripture because I think it talks about many of the same things that we talked about, we've talked about this morning, and it, it also adds the urgency part of it the urgency part. So Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Um, I was going to say you could walk out the door and get hit by a bus, but we don't have buses in Cottonwood. So you could walk out the door and an airplane could fall on your head. We are in the, we are in the landing pattern for the airport. We don't know what tomorrow holds, okay? And so, so for each and every one of us, time is running out. We don't know what, what tomorrow's going to bring into our life. So um, he, he says, wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. The night and dark, we're called to be light, not, not night. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Okay, because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. We're called to be witnesses. We're called to be different from the world. We're called to be set apart. Don't participate in the darkness. Uh, there's something missing there. Let's see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling or jealousy. We're to be different. We're to set those things apart. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to put on his righteousness. We're to walk so closely with him. We're a reflection of him. And don't let yourself think about the ways to indulge your evil desires. Push away that spiritual indifference. Pursue him. Look to him. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us what we need to walk with him in a way that will bring him honor and glory. That's the path that we should pursue. Um, here's a prayer to end today. Read through this, and then I'll, we'll all stand up and read this together if you're comfortable doing that. Why don't you stand with me? And let's read that together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for pursuing me in relationship. 
I know, Lord, that I can allow self-sufficiency and the distractions of this world to make me a lukewarm follower. Help me, Lord, to undo those things in my life that make me indifferent and give me the strength to wake up every day in full reliance on you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a prayer team over to your right that would be happy to pray for you for anything that you might need prayer for. And we want to encourage you next week, we're going to be talking about what would Jesus undo? Hollow worship, hollow worship. So join us next week for that. Thank you.